Well, my name is Chuck Stecker. I'm the teaching pastor here at Summit Church. And as Marie has welcomed you, I want to welcome you as well and those online. And thank you for joining us this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday, as we gather as a family to worship the risen Savior. There's several things as we talk about it. We have been in a series right now, and that series is Encounter the Cross. We started last week. We talked about the hope of the cross, that we've got to know, see, and feel the hope of the cross. Today, we'll talk about the power. And as my way of inviting you and maybe even enticing you a little to come back next week, we're going to go finish up three weeks, but next week is about the grace of the cross. And when we do that, tied in with it is a very special day that we do here at Summit Church, and there'll be a, there'll be a tank of water here. I'm very grateful for the folks that do that because it's generally warm because I end up getting in it, but it's Baptism Sunday. And I want to tell you that because as God moves on your heart perhaps today, or if that's something that you've been praying about and considering that should you be baptized, one, we're very happy to have that conversation with you. That's one. Two, if you've, it's not too late. In fact, next Sunday is not even too late. But our next step table out there is where you can go. You can sign up. You can have questions answered. But we feel very strongly that that act of salvation is that, that first step. But that's followed on with baptism as an act of obedience. It's not our salvation. It is an act of obedience that we're doing in line with what Jesus teaches us. And it's very, very important to us. So if that's something you've been considering, please give us a chance to talk to you or just go sign up. But we're looking forward to it. And then that's, that's really an important thing for next Sunday. You know, as we looked at this, the desire for each of us is, for me personally, as your pastor here, is that we've got an opportunity today, but really every day, to refocus our faith on Jesus Christ and to have a personal encounter with the hope, the power, and the grace of the cross. And that's really what we're trying to do, is just give it an opportunity for God to overwhelm us with the thickness and the power of His Holy Spirit as we do this. And I want to, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, if you were able to join us Friday, just give a big shout out to our team there for the journey to the cross. It was a very special time that kind of took us through Jesus' journey to the cross on that Friday night. But today, our big idea is very simply this is that may each of us, I want to pause there. When we say each of us at Summit Church, let me tell you, when I say it, that means it starts with me first too. Understand that this isn't something we're projecting on you, but this is all of us as a family. Whether I get to stand here and talk, our worship team, our dream team, our elders, our staff, all of us to experience the power of the cross, to live for a reason, extraordinary lives, and bring honor to God in all that we do. Isn't that really what God has asked us in this process? That really that, that extraordinary life that God has for us, it's not by accident, and it's not something that just, you know, it could happen. God tells us this to be true. He desires for His family to live extraordinary lives. But those lives were meant by God, our Creator, to bring honor and glory to Him. And so as we look at this, our, this, even though it's a special day for all of us here, our adventure that we keep inviting people to, the foundation we believe for Summit Church, 
is to be a place that gives you the opportunity to grow as a disciple. And that's what Jesus told us to do. Go and make disciples. Well, we know making disciple for us is creating a safe place for God to do His work. But I, I want to tell you, we can do everything that we can possibly do, and it may still not work, because there's an ingredient here that is the most important ingredient, and that's you. That decision on your part to be responsible to grow in your faith to grow closer to the Lord, to let the Lord and power of the Holy Spirit to lead you in your life to that extraordinary life. But we believe that a disciple, we've got to give us something that's very clear, don't we? And so for us, a disciple is a fully devoted, spiritually maturing, you see that continuation, reproducing follower of Christ. And the desire of Summit Church, whether it's Easter, Resurrection Sunday, any Sunday here or throughout the week is to create that place for God to do what God can do. But I need to tell you, it requires you to do that. And so as we look through this, I want to start by giving us a background as we celebrate the empty cross, the empty tomb, and the risen Savior. Let's get a context for this that will help us understand what God is asking us to grab hold of. I want to start back in Deuteronomy, way back in the Bible, or the very first part there. And he says to us this, you may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? When the prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that message the Lord has not spoken. Now, why is it that important to speak in almost a negative on this, isn't it? You know, to tell us what God hasn't spoken. Well, what the Scripture is really saying is, if God has spoken it through His Son, Jesus Christ, or through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to come true. You know, and sometimes we make this more complicated. Let me simplify this thing. If Jesus says it's going to rain, you've got a couple of choices. Stay in, get a raincoat or an umbrella, or get wet. That's it. Because when God said it, that's what's going to happen. And we have to understand that God tells us this all the way back in Deuteronomy. That is the case. That coming from the positive, when God says it, that's what's going to take place. Several years ago, there was a license plate that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And I told the person, I think that's very nice, but I think that's misleading. And they said, what do you mean? I says, well, the way that's worded, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It sounds like the only way that things are settled is if you believe it. That's not the case. Let me just tell you what it really means. God said it, that settles it, it's done. I don't care what you believe. I mean, I do care because you're here and I'm here. But when the context of saying, I'm not basing my faith on what you believe, so it'll settle it for me because I know what God tells us, and everything He said is true, and everything has happened. So when we continue with this, right? And, uh, you know, you look here at what God told us through the prophets of old. Let's just go through some of those. Just to know, thousands of years before Jesus, here's what was being said through prophets. 
God was speaking in Isaiah 7, 14, not on your screen. Some of this stuff, you just need to listen and kind of soak it in. But he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. That's in Isaiah. This isn't in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This isn't at a time that Mary is pregnant. You go thousands of years back here, and that's what God said. It came true, exactly what God said. When we jump over to the psalmist, again, thousands of years before, in Psalm 27, 7 and 8, right? Or 22, 7 and 8, he says, everyone who sees me, now it's describing what we just, we say celebrated, boy, we use that word, don't we? We celebrated Good Friday. Well, the reason we celebrated Good Friday and the trial and crucifixion and everything of our Lord and Savior is because we know Sunday was already coming. But it was tough for the people back then, I think. And he said, here's what's going to happen. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer. They shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save himself. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. You know what that's tied directly to? At the time of Jesus' crucifixion, the Pharisees were standing around and people were mocking him. And they said, if he's truly who he says he is, let him save himself. Maybe Elijah will come to save him. That's what they were saying, see? But no, wait a minute. That's exactly what God told us thousands of years earlier. We continue with the psalm, or, and, uh, or we continue in Isaiah, and he says this, uh, for the dogs have surrounded me, or excuse me, in verses 16 through 18, he says, for the dogs have surrounded me. Gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Does that make sense? Thousands of years earlier, I count my bones. He had been stripped. The skin had been stripped. People look and stare at me. Now get this. They divide with my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. Exactly what took place on a hilltop called Golgotha, where our Savior was crucified. Yet God told us this thousands of years earlier. And then in Isaiah, let's skip over to that with the prophet, he says this, but he was pierced because of our rebellion. That one line has always grabbed me personally. You know, we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, and he went and he saw Herod and Pilate and all of that, right? And they were convicting him, right? They accused him of crimes that was worthy of crucifixion and so forth. But that was our rebellion, Jesus knew it at the time, that what he was really being tried for was not an earthly trial, believe me. This was a spiritual trial for which he was being found guilty for our sin and our rebellion. And look, why don't we just say, for us claiming to be Christians but not living like it, that would be the answer for today, wouldn't it? That's what he was on the cross for that he was pierced for that, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Goes on to say in Isaiah, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. When you read the historical on this, Jesus, no one knew of another case of somebody being crucified that didn't cry out in pain and anguish, screaming for their lives, except for Jesus who was like a lamb led to slaughter, like sheep silent before their shearers. He didn't even open his mouth. 
And I read one of the stories with the centurion. He says he was just totally shocked. He had never witnessed a, a crucifixion where the, the man was not screaming in pain and crying out and some crying out just to die then without going through anymore. Then in verse 9, he says this, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, right? That's where he was originally going to be buried, with the wicked. But he was with a rich man at the end, Joseph Arimathea, very wealthy man at the time. And we've got to get the right context. And when our kids ask these questions, we have to be able to try to answer some of these. That, you know, back then, the wealthy per would prepare their own grave, their own tomb. It had to be dug out of rock. And Joseph of Arimathea, wealthy man, but a follower of Christ had already prepared his own grave. And it was Joseph of Arimathea that went and asked specifically if Jesus could be buried in his tomb and was given permission. It's exactly what the Scripture says. But then it goes on, because he had done no violence, he had not spoken deceitfully. I hope you're getting the magnitude of what took place with hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. The world has never known any situation with hundreds of prophecies, none of which have ever failed to be true when they've looked at them. That's the Jesus we know. That's the God we serve. But when we look at this, is that my prayer is that we embrace the power of this cross. We've got to get it. Now, let's focus on the last week for a second. Let's just continue with the context here. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. Now, we know back in Jesus' day, they celebrated Palm Sunday, you know, the palms and all this, because, as we talked about last week, they had a hope in a king that was coming to overthrow the Romans, to overthrow the Romans. That was their hope. We talked about a misplaced and a false hope of something they wanted when they saw Jesus. And as they walk through, they go through Sunday where they do that. We celebrate that, but then we get to Monday, right? On Monday... Jesus did two things identified in the Scriptures. He wept over Jerusalem. He didn't weep for Himself, but He was weeping. And when we say over Jerusalem, He was really weeping over the people, what He found in Jerusalem in that time, because everything had been foretold. But then the second thing that He did on that Monday was He cleaned out the temple. You know, what had happened was, and he had done this before, the temple became like this marketplace, money changers and all of that stuff. It wasn't a temple to worship God. It was a place where they conducted business, made money and things like that. And Jesus had said, this isn't the house for my father. And he cleaned it out. That was Monday. On Tuesday, Jesus turned to teaching in parables and prophetic words. And he was teaching the words that they had heard. When he said things like, you know, that the temple will be torn down and in three days it will be rebuilt, they thought they understood that. But the reality of it is, Jesus continued to teach. And then on Thursday, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He washed his feet and he instituted what we call communion. Earlier today, I got a note from a friend of mine down in Florida. We were just together in Detroit as speakers. But he made a great statement. He said, you know, I've often thought about being told you had one more day and asked the question, what would you do with it? In the early days, he said, you know, his answer probably was like mine. We just party. Come on, I got one day. Let's just blow this out and have the best time that we can have. 
And then he made a statement that struck me this morning at about 5 o'clock. He says, I think I would try to do what Jesus did. On Thursday, he was going to be crucified on Friday. On Thursday, Jesus washed feet and ate with his disciples. It's a pretty powerful statement when you think about it. So often we're focused on things. What would I do in that situation or this? And I was very struck by that statement there. But now we get to Friday. It was midnight that Jesus was in the garden and he was praying. He was betrayed by Judas, one of his own disciples, with a kiss. At 3 a.m., Jesus was taken to the high priest. But here's one thing. By 3 a.m. in all of this, Peter had already denied him three times before the cock crows. And you think those are just such minor things. But it's so important that we grasp the magnitude of what God is telling us in the little things so we can grasp the magnitude in the great things. And he told Peter, he says, you're going to deny me three times. You know, Peter was the one, I'm not going to deny you. I'll be there for you. And Jesus looked right at him and said, but no, you'll deny me three times. Really? And very little was thought of it at the time. In fact, Peter, I would think, would probably be maybe like me. Now, that is not going to happen. I am absolutely devoted to you. You know, it's me and you together on this, right? But by 3 o'clock, Peter had denied him three times. And then we get where it continues. Jesus is taken to the Sanhedrin where he's condemned again. At 6 a.m., he stands before Pilate. who sends him to Herod, and then Herod sends him back to Pilate, you know. And through all of this, we've got to remember no guilt was found in Jesus. Pilate said it, right? They all said the same thing. In fact, you remember that, you know, one could be given up and they wouldn't take him. I mean, in all of this here, and I know it's a lot of information, but in all of this here, Jesus knew what was happening. He was prepared in his heart for it. And it had nothing to do with Jesus. It had everything to do with him being obedient to the Father and preparing a way for us. He was given a crown of thorns, and he was mocked as the king. In fact, the king of the Jews was written in three languages, Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. They wanted to be sure everybody understood. They were making fun of him. At 9 o'clock, the crucifixion began. At noon, darkness overcame the land. And at 3 p.m., Jesus took his last earthly breath. The earth shook. We use the term the curtain in the temple was torn, was rent. Jesus' earthly job on earth was completed. And it was something he did for every one of us. Oh, not as a group, no. One of my favorite old songs is, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind every single one of us. I'm not sure how that could be. I don't have that capacity, but God does, and certainly Jesus does in that. Now we get to Sunday. Oh, Sunday. Here we are, and here we celebrate. We celebrate that empty tomb. First, the women went, Mary Magdalene saw, didn't recognize him. Thought he was one of the gardeners. And then, followed by others, and Peter, and so forth, the same. And the glorious day 
And, you know, you got to understand, on Sunday, Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. I would love for all of these young people to be able to see, well, maybe it'd be good for all of us, that hole in the rock that was carved out, and that huge stone that was rolled across the entrance of that entrance to the tomb. But get this, on that tomb entrance, where the stone was placed a seal. Now, this is so important to get this, because if anyone were to break that seal, because you see, on Friday, all of the religious people, you got them, they were afraid. They weren't sure, but they were afraid. Jesus said, I'll come back in three days. What they tried to explain was is that His followers would steal the body to give the impression that He had risen again, right? So they asked to get Roman guards placed on the tomb. And so they did on Saturday, and the seal was placed on it. And you know, if anyone broke that seal, the penalty was death until the order was given. And so here it was on Sunday morning, the stole, it wasn't just the seal was broken, the stone was rolled back. The tomb was empty, the burial clothes were right there on the platform of the table. And Jesus had risen. Now, it's important for us to understand Jesus did exactly what He said He would do. Often talk about Jesus, one of the primary things Jesus did was set the example for all of us. It says He was tempted. It says He wept. He said every experience, emotion. There's not anything that we can look at Jesus and say to God, well, you know, you really wouldn't understand what I'm going through. And He can say, do you know what my son went through? He experienced everything in that process. And, you know, one of the things that, again, was another prayer from another friend. I get a lot from people, you know, try to pay honor to each one. But Richard Exley wrote this morning, and he says, here we are on Sunday morning. Think about this for a second. The disciples, the people that walked with Jesus, right, at the time of His crucifixion, were absolutely destroyed. All hope was gone. It was terrible what had just taken place in their lives. How could this be? To the point that many of them ran and they hid and they locked themselves in to protect themselves so they wouldn't be identified as these followers of this Jesus guy. How is it that in the years that followed, they would turn and be His witnesses throughout the land. What happened? I want to suggest to you, what happened to them was what God wants to happen to us. You see what happened to them? Oh, they knew the Savior before He was crucified. Oh, they knew the Savior of the cross, and they knew the Savior of the tomb. But you know what happened in their lives? They knew the risen Savior. And that was the defining moment in their lives. Not the Savior that taught, or the Savior that was crucified tomb. Those are very important, and we need to know that. But what's the life-changing experience? We've got to know the power of the cross, because it opened the door to the tomb, and it opened the door to a risen Savior. And for all of the disciples, 
That was their defining moment. It's when they came to the risen Savior. That's what changed their lives. And so God wants us to have that experience. That's what Easter is really about. We can celebrate the cross, and we have it there. And we have it every Sunday. It's important to us. It's a place where Jesus said, it is finished. And on this Resurrection Sunday, we have our, our kids in here. We have all of our young adults in here. And that we've got to be able to live a life, I think, not just calling ourselves as Christians, but people should know that we have come to know the risen Savior who did everything He promised He said He would do without fail. You see, God wants our story to become part of His story. So for an eternity, His story, or He wants His story to become part of our story. So for an eternity, our story is going to be marked with His story. Isn't that the significance? That we've come in that relationship with the risen Savior. Now I know that, you know, we look at these things and there's statistics out there. And again, I was, just some of the things I was studying, I was kind of shocked by this, but then I wasn't. Across our nation, around the world right now, churches are filled with people who identify with as Christ followers, as Christians. For some, it's a regular part of what they do with life. For some, it's something they do periodically. But one of the, the studies showed that an overwhelming number of people who identify as Christians they believe everything in this book. In that, they believe that there is a God. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They're wrestling with this Holy Spirit thing, you know what I mean? But they kind of know that's true, that there is a God. There is Jesus. You know what they're wrestling with? Oh, it's not believing this. No. They're wrestling with allowing God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to have anything to do with their daily life. You see, that's really the issue, isn't it? You see, if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to know the risen Savior, but our life is not changed, and how we live our life each day is not changed because of that, I think we bear false witness. I think we talk about a Savior that came to transform us, but we're talking as people who aren't transformed. Does that make sense? You see, Easter is about the risen Savior, but it's about the fact that we know that risen Savior and our life has changed because of that. That's what's important for us. And people say, well, Chuck, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, we try to do our best. Does that really happen where somebody just, well, you can talk to Billy about me, that's one. But in uh, 1997, I would go back to 1994, and some of you have heard part of some of this story before, but I always say, you know, at my age, I get to tell the stories for the first time again. See, some of you caught that, didn't you? I had found my dad after many, many years of not knowing where he was at in 1994. And in fact, when I went in the apartment, finally got in, there was beer cans all over the place. It was 
in a terrible part of town that it looked like bombed out Dresden. Now that's something you can teach your kids about because half of you in here don't know what I just said. We'll let that go. But it just, it was just a terrible place. And over the years, about a year later, my dad and I, he had a Bible. We had some at Promise Keepers and I loved him. I sent him a Bible. He had a phone put in, which he didn't have. And we were going through and in April or in March of 1997, I was in Wichita, Kansas, and my dad and I went to dinner. And there was something totally different about this man. My dad was kind of like a, we call a rattlesnake. You know, a rattlesnake, if you give them a chance, they'll run away if you're not cornered. You corner them, they'll coil, and they'll strike. My dad was kind of like that. He'd had a really, really tough childhood, a lot of things there. My dad had been in prison. I've told you we don't say prison. We call it rock hockey, you know, for the state of Nebraska. Um, married at least three times. We can go through all of this stuff. But there was something different in March of 1997 with my dad. We were at a restaurant, and my dad was talking about this man named Jesus. And I'm fairly loud, a little bit. You can laugh at that. If you didn't laugh at that, my wife would wonder if you actually heard me. Okay. Um, my dad is talking boldly in a restaurant about this man named Jesus. And before I can say, let's pray, my dad's saying, let's pray. We got through with this, and I had to go to another town for work the next morning with that. But he said, come on in. In his Bible, I'd given him, he had the little colored stickies that came out. And he had about 40 questions, it looked like. My dad starts asking me questions. And then just like that, I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, you've never asked Jesus Christ, surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, have you? We're sitting in this apartment of His, which now is clean. It's the, you see a transformation, just how we lived. My dad this coiled back and he said, no, and if that's why you came in, I'm not doing it either. He had no idea. But he was just afraid because he was uncertain and he didn't. So we're sitting there. Now, you got to remember, my dad was a member of three different churches during his life. Isn't that enough to be a Christian? Good grief. What more could God want? I mean, if you're joining a church, you know, where you're at, it's got to be enough, isn't it? So I looked at my dad. And I said, Dad, you need to understand something. Heaven and hell are real. They exist. I said, Dad, I'm not a great theologian, but here's what I know. Heaven will be in the presence of Almighty God for an eternity. Hell will be out of the presence of Almighty God for an eternity. That's how I describe it. I'd learned something from a young gal in fifth grade, a youth group Billy and I started in Virginia, and she's riding in the car, a van. Her mom would bring six kids her and her sister were twins and four other girls to this youth group, fifth and sixth graders. Karen came back to the church after she had dropped them off. She's got tears, but she's happy. I said, Karen, are you all right? She says, yeah. She said, uh, I just need to tell you. We're riding home, and her daughter said to her friend, Shelly, she said, Shelly, I, I need to ask you something. Are you a Christian? Fifth grade girls, six of them in the car. Shelly looks at her and says, I, I think I am. I'm doing everything they tell me to do at church. Fifth grade girl turns to her and she says, Shelly, 
you're not listening. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not a Christian. And then she said this to her. She said, Shelly, you're my best friend. When I get to heaven, and you're, if you're not there, I don't know if I can take it without you. Fifth grade girl. You talk about who teaches you in the world. I'm sitting with my dad, March 1997, and I remember the teaching of a fifth grade girl in our youth ministry. And I looked at my dad, and I simply said, Dad, I'm going to be the patriarch of this family in the future. I am now. I said, Dad, my job is to make sure everybody in our family, your children, your grandchildren, and even generations yet to be born, they get to know about Jesus and have the opportunity to make a decision about their own eternity. That's my job. I get to do other things. I get to talk to you this morning, but that's my job. And then I looked at my father, and I said, Dad, when I get to heaven, if you're not there, it won't be the same without you. This crusty old guy, one month before his 70th birthday, slid out of his chair, right down on his knees, bawling like a baby. Just for the record, real men don't cry. If that's your problem, Travis, me, several of the others, we'll meet you in the parking lot. We can cure that today. That can be taken care of because Jesus wept. So if you need help, wives, if you want to send your husband, we can handle that. Okay, we got him, Trav? All right. I ball I down on my knees, bawling like a baby. My dream was for my dad to know the Lord. This man that believed everything that was in this book. He and I were going through it. He just believed. For anybody else in the world, it was the best deal going. He just didn't think because of all the things he did that God would actually forgive him. And on that night in March 1997, that man rolled down on his knees, and I held him in my arms. For a while, I couldn't get the words out. I just cried with him. And then we prayed together. 2005, the Jesus that my father surrendered to called him home. He's in the presence of the Lord now. But I can tell you this, I know exactly where he's at. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to see him there. And I want the same for you. I'm going to go back to the disciples. We're going to have a time here to really give you an opportunity to kind of ask God to examine your heart with you. Do you know the risen Savior? You're here to celebrate an empty cross and an empty tomb, and we do this once a year. Are you here because your life has been changed because you know the risen Savior? But here's the other thing. Are you here and you're a Christian, but does anybody else know it except for Sunday when you're here with us? Because if that's the case, let me tell you in love, that's not the extraordinary life God had planned for you. Oh, he's got something so much better for you. You've just got to make a decision. So here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to pray. First, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask you a question in that prayer and ask God to ask you through the Holy Spirit. Do you know Jesus, the risen Savior, and does he know you? You know, the scripture says the gate will be closed and that. And he says, you know, these are people that traveled with Jesus. They indicate that's church folk. That when it came to that time of judgment, Jesus said, but I don't know you. I never want that to happen to anybody in our family here or anybody else. Forget, you know, but here's the deal. I'm going to ask God to show you with the eyes of your heart when you made that decision and came in contact with the risen Savior. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do anything with that. What we're going to do is, is as we go into our worship afterwards, if you've made the decision that you're sitting here as I pray, you're praying, then I'm going to ask you to go to our prayer team when we go into our worship and our response time. If you're sitting here today and you say, yeah, I would say I'm a Christian, but I can't say anybody at my work or any place else really knows that on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. And I know God wants to change that because you want to live that extraordinary life that will honor God. If that's the case, our prayer team's gonna be there with you. We have elders that'll be there with you. But also we have a cross and you can see prayers from the first service. They're right there. A people saying, Father, I wanna live an extraordinary life. And you know, it was on the cross that Jesus said it is finished. Maybe you need to say the life I've been living while calling myself a Christian, let's finish that one. And let's start the new one, the extraordinary life that God created us for and planned for us. So I'm gonna pray right now, and then we're gonna talk just for a second about responding. Father, we thank you. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. We come, Father, to celebrate the risen Savior, the Savior that changed the lives of the disciples, that would launch them. We want to be like them, Father. We want to meet the risen Savior. Father, we're asking you, do what it takes to transform our lives to represent you. Oh, Father, I'm asking for everybody here. We want to live extraordinary lives that bring honor and glory to you and not just attend church on Sunday, but, Father, represent you well on Monday, Tuesday, and every other day. So, Father, give us the courage now to do what we need to do, to step forward and acknowledge that to you. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's family said, Amen. Amen. At Summit Church, we have several opportunities for you to respond. As I said, if you prayed that prayer and you're saying, I've been a Christian, but I haven't been walking it, we've got prayer team, elders, everyone there to meet with you. If you're saying it's my first time and I need somebody to confirm and pray with me, again, our prayer teams are there. On each side is also communion that's available for you. As Jesus instituted the act of communion, and he basically said, do this all the time and remember me every time you do it. We practice open communion at Summit Church. And what that means is, if you say, I know Jesus Christ, take communion. Just that simple. No questions asked. There's no quiz or anything you got to fill out. 
We just practice open communion as a church. Third is the cross. You can see some prayer concerns, requests, some statements are there. As our worship team leads us, I'm inviting you, be courageous and do whatever God puts on your heart. Prayer, communion, the cross, whatever it takes for you to leave here differently than you came through that door. That's what the desire of our heart is. I want to ask you to stand now as our worship team leads us through our response time. Feel free to move for communion, prayer, the cross as they start playing. Thank you.